This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey, guys. Ryan let me know after the episode was recorded that he made a teeny tiny little mistake. So I'm making this just to make sure you guys get the facts and understand it. Yeah, it'll, it'll make sense when you listen to it. So he wants you all to know that he misspoke. The Potsdam Conference actually occurred in July 1945 after the Germans surrendered. Like I said, that'll make sense as you listen. Enjoy the episode. Everyone is voting for Jack Cause he's got what all the rest lack Everyone wants to back Jack Jack is on the right track Cause he's got Welcome back to the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Allison, and I'm here with my most special guest of all, and that is my friend, teacher, and historian, Ryan Pryor. Hello, everyone. Hello. <laughs> what a better time to discuss a existential crisis to freedom and democracy than now on the coattails of one of another existential threat to freedom and democracy. Hmm. Not two weeks before. Not the, simil- not, not the same level as far as international politics is concerned, but certainly um, something that somebody will be talking about on a podcast in 10 years. Absolutely. The capital insurrection, but I digress. We're here to talk about 1962, not mm. 2021. That's right. That's right. So we are, I'm going to, oh, 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 before we start, I'm going to say I did do a Q&A thing on Instagram. So if you submitted your questions, I appreciate it. And I got so many that I'm going to, well, Ryan really is going to answer all the ones that are about the Cuban Missile Crisis, but we're going to do it at the end so that he's already gone through everything and the history of it. And then he can answer. So just know that. All right. Take it away. All right. Here we are. Picture it. Sicily. No. Um, that's a Golden Girls reference. Yes, I'm um, so aware. I'm dating myself here, but that is my favorite television show. A little bit about me. And happy birthday to Betty White, by the way. Yes. Um, 99. 99 years old. Also, sorry, we're already getting off topic. Do you remember one of the first times we ever hung out? We watched Joe Magnolias together. Of course. We of drank course. Shock Top and watched Joe Magnolias. You, gotta, you drink Shock Top and watch Steel Magnolias. There's nothing, there's nothing better than that. It was um, bliss. It was. It was. And and listen, you know, this is all connection. All of those women were alive during this time, sing, Betty White included. Mm-hmm. Um, last I checked, 1962 was within the last 99 years. But uh, yeah, so the Cuban Missile Crisis. All right, before we get off topic again, I'm just going to go Sorry. ahead and dive in. Um, the Cuban Missile Crisis, probably one of the most misunderstood periods of American history. Um, also one of the most falsely fascinating, to use an alliteration. Um, A lot of people are fascinated by the Cuban Missile Crisis. They see it as this period where the world was on the brink of nuclear disaster, where the world almost came to a bitter and somewhat chilling end, right? Allison, whenever whenever you think about the Cuban Missile Crisis, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? What do you think about? I personally actually think about, obviously, the threat of nuclear war and the 13 days. Like right. in the turmoil of the 13 days. So that's right. that's what I think of. Right. And, and and the fact that we probably, as young people, you know, you and I are young, haven't experienced anything like those, that, that sort of two-week period in our lifetimes. I mean, one could say 9-11, the period directly after 9-11, is maybe the closest that we've ever come 
to seeing that like chaos and destruction and, and potential for, you know, devastation, but it was just a different thing, mm-hmm. right? There wasn't the ever looming threat that the nation was going to implode due to, you know, a, a nuclear holocaust. It was more along the lines of what else is, what's going to happen next? And also to be fair, I was six. Yeah. We were five. Tiny. Yeah. And uh, all this to say, I want to, I don't want to um, downplay expectations about this, but I will say that, the Cuban Missile Crisis was both as significant a, a period of American history as one would assume, and also not nearly the, 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 the crisis that dramatizations would make you believe. In fact, and we're going to talk about this later, the most deadly period of the Cuban Missile Crisis was not known to the participants until 2002. That's wild. Okay? At the time... Most people within the military, most people within the government, John Kennedy included, while worried about the threat of nuclear war, sort of knew how it was going to end. The general public, terrified. Okay, the hysteria, massive. The duck and cover, right? That's what, that's what they've been planning for, the duck and cover. But within the machinations of government, within the military, there was generally a, a, a more of a calm than you would expect. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. So before we get to the Cuban Missile Crisis, which occurred between October and November of 1962, about a year, of course, before Kennedy's assassination, we have to go back in time. We have to rewind, okay? Because you can't understand the context for the Cuban Missile Crisis unless you understand the outcome and aftermath of the Second World War, all right? Mm -hmm. So let's get into that. So I'm going to call this the prelude, okay? Okay. To use a a term, to, to coin a phrase, a prelude. I'm going to add some music here. Prelude. The, the general idea of the Cuban Missile Crisis, the, the background, is that the Cubans had agreed to allow the Soviets to put nuclear missiles, medium-range nuclear missiles, in, on Cuban soil, uh, which, of course, was 90 miles from the United States at its closest point. And the Americans got really upset about this, and it led to a conflict that almost caused nuclear war, right? That's sort of the background. Mm-hmm. But how in the world did we get to that position? How did we get to that point? Why, why were the Russians even thinking about putting nuclear weapons in Cuba? And why would the Cubans, knowing that kind of heat, the kind of smoke, to use a, a young person's phrase, that it would bring upon them, why would they even agree to this in the first place? Okay? The biggest reason has to do with the so-called Potsdam Conference. Okay? Potsdam. Hmm. 1944. Picture it. Like Potsdam okay? or like Potsdam? P-O-T-S-D-A-M. Potsdam. 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 Got it. In the Treaty of Potsdam during the Second World War is where the the grand viziers of the uh, Allied powers, you've got Stalin, you've got Churchill, you've got FDR, the big three, came together and basically decided, they kind of knew at this point that the Germans were going to be defeated, right? The Germans, they they knew it was a matter of when, not if, the Nazis were going to fall, okay? Mm -hmm. And they got together and decided, after the war, we're going to kind of divide Eastern and Western, Eastern Europe into spheres of influence. They called it so-called spheres of influence. The most prescient point of this division was that they took the city of Berlin. They were going to take the city of Berlin, which was the capital of Germany, of course, and divide it in half, okay? The Soviets, at the time, were going to control the eastern portion of Berlin. The western powers, Britain, France, and the the United States, were going to control the western portion of Berlin. Now, the entire city of Berlin was going to be situated in East Germany, which was going to be entirely controlled by the Soviets. 
So what you're basically going to have is this little island of land, which would be considered West Berlin, in the middle of a sea of Soviet red. This would lead to multiple crises in the 1950s, including the Berlin Airlift, which you've probably heard about, as well as the building of the Berlin Wall, right? That's what the Berlin Wall was. It divided East Soviet Berlin and Democratic Berlin. I'm using air quotes here because, you know. And the Soviets hated this. The Soviets wanted all, because again, all Berlin was situated well within their territory. I, I'm not sure exactly the mileage, but it was well well, well in, inland from the border between East and West Germany. And they wanted to control all of Berlin. That's part number one. You have to understand that this is the situation that's going on. And by the way, the Cold War had been raging for 15 to 16 years at this point, sorry, 17 years up to this point, starting in 1945 and we're up to 1962. That's issue number one. The second thing to understand before we even start talking about the missile crisis is that there had been, of course, a communist revolution in Cuba in the 1950s, Right. Mm-hmm. The uh, the sort of the the leader of, of 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 democratic Cuba, Batista, had lost the revolutionary fight against Castro. There had been a communist revolution in Cuba. This really frightened the Americans, American people, because up until then, the closest Soviet or or communist nation was China and the Soviet Union, which mm-hmm. was all the way across the Pacific Ocean. Now, all of a sudden. Within the Western sphere, there was a communist government, a a communist government sympathetic to the Soviets right in our backyard. And this had led to a provocation in 1961 called the Bay of Pigs invasion. Have you heard of the Bay of Pigs? Yeah, of course. Sure. CIA trains a bunch of ex-Cubanos who, refugees, to go back in. Massive failure. They they land in the Bay of Pigs. Um, They are immediately pushed back. They are massacred, and the United States has to be like, we deny involvement, but also everyone knows that we were involved. Huge embarrassment for the Kennedy administration. Huge embarrassment for the United States, and also it incensed Castro. So again, we've got the Potsdam Conference, which had divided East and West Berlin. We have the situation that has happened with the, with the Bay of Pigs invasion. Again, which also showed the Soviets that, hey, maybe this Kennedy guy, he's a bit too young, a bit too academic. There's nothing, there's no substance to him. Maybe we, can th- maybe we can push this guy around. And the third thing you got to understand is the ballistic properties of missiles. The missile was a relatively new occurrence. The first missile rocket used in warfare hadn't come about until the Germans developed it during the Second World War. There were prototypes before that, but the missile itself didn't come about until World War II and really was in its nascency, its, its, its infancy as far as development goes. The United States had a clear advantage technology-wise over the Soviet Union at this time. We had just a lot more of what's called ICBMs, intercontinental ballistic missiles, meaning missiles that we can shoot from one continent and land in another continent. The Soviet Union has a giant gap at this time between the United States. Okay, their ICBMs are not fully operational in, you know, like Star Wars. They're not fully operational. They're not really ready to make sure that there's no gap between capabilities. Not only that, The United States also has short-range ballistic missiles in Turkey, which is a country, of course, we all know, in the Middle East, between Eastern Europe and the Middle East, right on the border of the Soviet Republic. And so there is this great fear in the Russian Politburo that there is an imbalance between the two powers, that the United States has the ability to, to engage nuclearly with the Soviets, but the Soviets do not have the ability to do so in response. This is all a part of called MAD, right? We know about what MAD is, right? 
mutually assured destruction. The Cold War, which is basically this, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis is one of the center points of the Cold War, was, of course, a non-combative war between the Soviet Union and the United States lasting from 1945 to 1991. Some say it's still going on. The centerpiece of of that was MAD, mutually assured destruction, because both the, the Soviets and the United States had nuclear weapons. They could ensure that if one side launched theirs, the other side was going to launch theirs. And that kept the war cold. The Soviets perceive that there's an imbalance in these in this nuclear capability right now. They don't have enough ICBMs of quality to launch in the United States in the event of war, and they don't have any place close enough to the United States to put medium-range ballistic missiles. They've got submarines that could potentially do it, and they've got they can launch planes, but again, the a nuclear war historians and scientists and whoever you want to talk to say that a nuclear war is basically about the first 60 minutes. Whatever you can launch in the first 60 minutes is what's going to determine who wins, quote unquote, a nuclear war. Jeez. Kennedy at this point, by the way, had received a, a dossier, a, a intel report sometime before this that had estimated that if there was a nuclear war, fully one third of the, of the world's population would be dead within the first three hours. One third would be dead. That's wild. Okay, mostly in Europe, uh, China, uh, North America, and the Soviet Union. Ugh, that's horrifying. It's horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. So we've got three things at play here. We've got tensions over the dividing line between East and West Berlin. We've got this perceived weakness in Kennedy by the Soviet Union, as well as a boiling hatred from Castro and fear that the United States is going to attempt another invasion like the Bay of Pigs, and that will be successful. And three, you've got this perceived technological missile gap. The the Russians, the, the, the Soviets are terrified of this. And so the newly elected premier of the Soviet Union, a man by the name of Nikita Khrushchev, Okay, Nikita Khrushchev is fascinating, by the way, because he is he is the sort of perceived as being this firebrand, the guy who's going to bring the Soviets into the the sixties and, and 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 lead them out of the fifties. There was a lot of turmoil in the Soviet Union after the death of, of Joseph Stalin in 1953. So between 1953 and the sixties, the, the Soviet Union sort of took a, like, took a step back, and Nikita Khrushchev comes in and says, "All right, I'm going to assert Soviet dominance. I've seen that this Kennedy fellow is weak." I've seen that this Kennedy fellow has no backbone, has no spine. I've seen that he is incapable of leading in terms of, from what he's seen at the, the Bay of Pigs, as well as a, a fun little operation called Operation Mongoose, mm-hmm. which was a CIA subterfuge involving Cuba as well. And so he hatches a plot. He says, because of all these things, I, I want to level the playing field. And I think I can do it through Cuba. So in May of 1962, he meets with Castro, and he basically, talk, you know, they talk back and forth and, and come to the conclusion that, one, Castro feels it's inevitable that the United States is going to invade Cuba again. And two, Khrushchev feels that in order to fully counteract a nuclear strike by the United States from Italy and Turkey, he needs to have, they need to have missiles there. But he knows that the United States is not going to let this happen. He knows that the United States is not going to just sit by and let the Soviets put medium-range ballistic missiles in Cuba. And so they developed this plan to secretly, over the course of many months, build these missile silos. So secret, in fact, that the Russian soldiers sent to Cuba to build these things were given snow boots and goggles and white camouflage pants so that they didn't even know where they were going. When they got off the boats in Cuba... They had no idea where they were. Oh, my gosh. Right? Because, 
again, this, this this Cold War is fascinating because there were there were networks of spies and double agents throughout all these throughout the Soviet Union government, like the, the Politburo of the Soviet Union and the United States. There were people shoveling information back and forth all throughout the Cold War. And so Khrushchev knew that if, if any of this got out, it would it would make its way to Kennedy. It was mm -hmm. going to happen. This is also helped by the fact that the United States is in sort of a, a at that time in 1962 a, under a moratorium of doing any kind of reconnaissance in Cuba because of what had happened to the Bay of Pigs. They really didn't want to incense Castro anymore, and so they weren't flying reconnaissance missions using what's called a, we're gonna, these are gonna, this is going to become important later, a U-2 spy plane. Not the Bono, it's not Bono, right? We're talking <laughs> about a U-2 spy plane. They weren't flying missions. They tried to use satellites, they didn't work very well, so they weren't flying any missions over Cuba, so they really had no intel as to what was going on. And again, the Soviets were shipping in soldiers and supplies and building materials. Under the guise, because they weren't going to be able to hide the ships, the United States was going to be able to see all these ships making their way to Cuba. They basically said this. When asked about it, they said, no, we are simply installing air, surface-to-air missile capabilities for the continued protection of the Cuban people against American aggression. We're helping the Cubans arm themselves against a potential American invasion, as the Americans have proven that they will do a year ago with the Bay of Pigs. And the United States kind of accepts this, as well as the rest of the world, as like, yeah, that makes sense. But there's a lot of suspicion as to what's actually going on, because they keep seeing, through reconnaissance of shipping, that there are larger and larger packages arriving. And their contacts in Cuba are reporting these giant cargo trucks driving through tiny villages at night. And the explanation to the Cuban people is that they're building soccer fields. That's how they explain it away. They say, oh, we're building soccer fields. We're building soccer fields. We're <laughs> building infrastructure. We're building uh, surface-to-air missile you know, capabilities. But none of this is whatever. And so by October of 1962, though, the, the Russians have established, uh, we know now, had almost 100, we think, nuclear-capable ballistic missiles in Cuba, medium-range ballistic missiles in Cuba. And so the situation is primed for an explosion. That's sort of the prelude. That's the background. We've got the international intrigue and turmoil. And all along, by the way, Khrushchev is trying to parlay this into an abstention of control over West Berlin. Nikita Khrushchev's big play here, because he's, he's basically escalating the tensions between the United States and the Soviet Union. His big play is to get control of West Berlin. Mm -hmm. That's the big play here. And so that's, that leads us to the crisis. And that begins on October 15th. Guys, I am so excited to share with you a company that I've teamed up with and I know you'll really love. History Hoard lets you experience the past firsthand by bringing you genuine small relics from history. Serving in World War II is such a huge part of JFK's story and overall such a monumental time in our history as a whole. Because I've studied and I love collecting things from that era, I got the World War II collection and I absolutely love it. With an incredible display and certificate of 100% authenticity, it's truly amazing to hold a piece of history in my hands. They also have items from other periods like the Civil War, the Golden Age of Piracy, Medieval Times, and even coins from ancient Rome. You can get your own World War II collection or one of the other many amazing artifacts by visiting www.historyhoard.com, which I'll link in the show notes, and use the code KENNEDYDYNASTY with no spaces to get 15% off your order. If you're listening to this podcast, then you probably love history. And if you love history, I'm telling you, you have to check this company out. So again, visit www.historyhoard.com, that's historyhoard.com, and use the code KENNEDYDYNASTY with no spaces to get 15% off. Happy shopping. Are there any questions at this point? 
Okay. I have so many questions, but I'm going to hold them because I have decided within this podcast that I think that I am going to split it into two. So we're going to have a prelude and then into the crisis. And that's how it's going to go. So you guys make sure you tune in again next week for the continuation of this Cuban Missile Crisis podcast. Thanks for joining me, Ryan. We'll see you next week. Come on and vote for Kennedy. Vote for Kennedy. Keep America strong. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling along. Vote for Kennedy. Science, science, science. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes... Yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast.